right, Justin. Sing me a song. It's like a popular song or just like a well-liked song. And you listen to it and you're like, this isn't bad. But it's not as good as everybody makes it seem. I don't, I don't quite get all the hype. But it's not bad. But you know, is it hype worthy? Sing me that song, Justin. Uh. Wow, I got nothing for this. <laughs> I don't have no idea. What there's not, there's not like a popular song that you heard and you're like, it's not bad, but it's not like, I don't see why it's popular. I'm I'm trying to remember the last time I listened to something that felt that way, and I just don't know. Um, oh man, there was man, who was it that I remember? A friend let me hear it. It was. I can't even think of the artist, but 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 he let me hear a song and I heard it and I was like, hey, it was all right. But I didn't think the world of it. And at the time it was like big because he had just because he hadn't he hadn't come out with anything in a while. He had just come out. Is it is it Eminem? Is that who I'm thinking of? I don't think it was him. Oh, man, I, I can't I can't remember anything like that for the life of me. I'm pretty sure I, there are examples, but God, nothing's coming to mind. I'm just drawing a blank. Man, Justin, I thought I was giving you guys a layup. I thought it was just like yep. a lob city, <laughs> just layups. I mean, it's always one like this that I miss bad. <laughs> well, Justin, unfortunately for you, you lose a point. So. Nothing I can do to help you with that. You just lost a point and I gained one because every time you lose a point, I gain a point. So, well, I guess that's just how it rolls, Justin. Uh, hope that doesn't happen to your Cowboys this weekend. Uh, Heather, what about you? Um, yeah, I know I'm going to lose the point on this because I have a song in mind, but it's, I, I can't remember, like, I know the, the tune of it, but I don't know the words to it, but it's the newest Adele song. I think it's called easy on me. Um, yeah, that's just kind of my thoughts on it. Like everybody was super hyped about this new Adele song and I love Adele's voice. She's great. The song's just kind of okay. I don't understand why people love it as much as like any of her other songs. So that's my answer, except I just can't think of the words of the song right now. So, <laughs> well, yeah, you lose a point because you didn't sing it. And two, you're kind of actually just wrong about the song, too. If, if you were on TikTok more, you'd see people <laughs> doing TikTok dances to this song, and it's spectacular. So, really? Okay. Yes, there's, there's lots of TikTok dances to it. Um, even, even, uh, 
Step Up alum, Allison Stoner, did a dance to it. Really? So, so they're just doing like contemporary dances to this slow song. Okay. Oh, yeah. Like they go hard on the dancing. It's a very specific okay. dance. I actually would be interested in that. And they go hard on it. So. Hmm. Okay. But you both lost points. So. I, I just don't know how to help you. I, I, I thought I was helping you guys out. You could have just said any Machine Gun Kelly song, I guess. <laughs> or any Post Malone song, I guess. And I, that would have been fair. But, you know, it is what it is. Points are lost. But, you know, in the end, I'm I'm okay with that because I got two points. So, <laughs> you know, can't win them all. But I did today. Which just makes me feel like my Titans being number one in the AFC. Woo! Anyway, let's start the episode. Nobody knows anything but you. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Come on. Cinema Slayers. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And today we will be talking about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with the Netflix movie Power of the Dog. Which I'm really surprised is not the name of a DMX album. It just seems like something that it would have been. Mm-hmm. Anyway, right. uh, we will go spoiler free recommendations and scores and then into a more spoiler centric section with time codes in the description to allow you to jump around if you so require, especially because this movie's on Netflix. So if you're listening to this and you never haven't watched this movie, you can listen to like the first, you know, section of this and then decide whether or not you want to go watch it. Because, you know, Netflix and everyone has Netflix or at least a Netflix password or two. So it's out there. Um, So starting us off. uh, Heather, what are your spoiler free thoughts about Power of the Dog? Yeah, so I'll start off by saying I'm a big, big fan of everyone in this movie, Um, all the people acting in it. Uh, great performances as far as the characters they're playing. Um, I think it is a very beautifully shot movie. Um, But I do, you know, I might be in the minority here, but for me, I wasn't the biggest fan of the movie. Um, There were some elements to it that were good, but just to be honest, like I feel like for one, it was paced really slowly. I think, uh, the latter half of the movie picked up a lot more, but it just was a really slow start to getting into the story of what was going on. Um, I do think it has just some, some issues as far as plot maybe, but um, it, I don't know. It's, I, I kind of agree with your sentiment when you were discussing it vaguely with the <laughs> song choices we had. It's fine. I don't know what you're um, talking about, I Heather. I have never alluded. 
towards our mm. topic movie mm. based on the question. Right. So, I, yeah, I probably made that up. That's fine. But um, <laughs> in either case, it's a fine movie. Like, you know, it's definitely not like this is a terrible movie. But for me, it's I don't actually think it's quite that memorable. I don't think they do enough in the story of what happens for me to feel like this is like a a top ranked movie for me. So unfortunately, I fall in the category of I don't really quite get the entire hype of it. Um, I get what they were trying to do and certain things they were trying to tell and say in the movie. Um, I just feel like the way they got there wasn't the best executed. And I, I just really feel like it's a very slow movie. <laughs> it's very slow um, starting it off to get really into what's happening. But once you do get there, once it, it does pick up its pace, it's interesting. Like the story is interesting, but I just feel like it just falls in the category of, yeah, it's okay for me. So um <laughs> I might be in the minority on that for most people because people are loving this movie. Um, you know, and I was interested to see what it was all about, but you know, and and I love my boy Jesse Plemons, you know, is in it, Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, uh, a lot of great people in this movie and nothing against their performances. I just think the story itself was very kind of baseline, well not baseline, but it was just very um nothing spectacular about any specific parts of the story. Um, I do think it has some really interesting twists and turns that it takes in it, which did make the movie, you know, a little bit more interesting in those parts. But overall, it's really just more of a, it's just fine. Like, I I don't think it's one of those that I'm going to say it would be like in a top 10 for me on, you know, my yearly list but it's definitely not like in the bottom of my list. It's really just kind of sitting right in the middle for me. Justin, what about you? Okay. Well, as far as my thoughts on it, I think that, um, like, I know that this film, um, is probably one of those, like, Oscar buzz, award time buzz films. I think it did win some awards mm-hmm. at the Golden Globes and stuff like that. So the yeah. so the movie does have uh, a lot of hype surrounded it. Um, and I think it actually uh, won Best Picture, if I'm not mistaken. I think it got Best Picture at the Golden. Oh, Globes. it did. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so it it actually it it won the thing. Okay. Okay. Well, it depends on um, how you look at it because remember they do split off musicals and comedies. So West Side Story true. also won. So right, oh, okay, yeah. So it won musical comedy, and this one like Best I'm drama. assuming drama yeah. or okay, right? Okay, okay. Um. Okay. Well, after hearing that, um, I guess I I would fall on the side of. I guess people and say, I guess I can understand why maybe I I can see some of those things. Like I haven't watched the rest of the field. I mean, I've seen West side story and I've seen tick, tick, boom. And now I've seen this. And I mean, if, if those are three of the movies 
that are in an Oscar lineup, I do. I could, I agree that this is probably the best of those, at least the ones I've seen, like the Oscar buzz movies. This is probably the best one of those. Definitely. Like, I I think that this, this is just, um, like Heather said, this is well shot. It's got good cinematography and everything like that. But this is well acted, I think. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch, the, the, this might be the best acting I think he's done in a movie. Just as far as this character, this character that he plays, Phil is such a layered character. And as you kind of are going through this story and figuring out what this is and what the film is trying to say, I think it all comes together quite nicely. Um, toxic masculinity I think is something that is a it's a noteworthy topic of today. And I think that there's a lot of people, a lot of literature, a lot of uh, things that are out that 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 you can not only read about this topic and everything like that, but just about like how a man's thought process, men's thought processes in general and how they affect people around them, you know, how they affect the women around them, how they treat women because of uh, toxic masculinity, how um, they see themselves and how they compare themselves to other people and other things and stuff like that. And I don't know, as this movie is going through, and I won't say any specific details or anything like that, but it's definitely all over this movie. And I recognized some of these characteristics in some of the characters and things like that. And I think that taking a film that kind of has the Western setting, because this is like, you know, Western movies are known for being those kind of the, they're, they're let's just not beat around the bush. They're male movies, you know, um, I, I think what was it TNT or TBS? They used to have, um, they used to have a block section where they just showed action movies and it was called movies for guys who like movies. Well, th- this is <laughs> Westerns are t- typically fit that bill. That's what they are. So I liked what the director did here. Uh, Jane Campion, where you have this movie that has the Western setting. It has the, it's the Western tale. And in a lot of ways, it is a Western revenge tale, but it's under the guise of this whole commentary about toxic masculinity. And so I think, um, you, you know, it doesn't have to be said that this, this is my kind of movie. You know, I'm the one on this podcast, and I'll probably say it a hundred times again uh, as we, you know, I'll say it for a hundred more years as long as this podcast lasts. Um, You know, I'm the one that tends to lean towards movies like this. You know, it, it, it is a slow burn as it's developing characters and setting the scene and you're, you're building all of these relationships between the characters and stuff like that. 
And this is kind of one of those vehicles where there's it's not a typical Western in the way of where there's a lot of things blowing up and there's stagecoach chases and there's um, fighting at the OK Corral. It's not that kind of Western. This is one of those movies where it's purely just the acting, really like it's one of those where it's the acting that everybody is doing that that is the impact of the film. And then as you go through and it, it it reveals a couple of plot twists and different things like that, then you start to really understand the characterizations and why a character behaves the way that they do and why things are happening the way they're happening. And I think that it all came together nicely in this nice little uh, commentary about toxic masculinity. And I think that that is something that, more people, especially men, need to talk about. There, there, there's a need for movies like this to exist. I think it unpacks a lot of things about that. And I liked seeing it, uh, a commentary on that in this Western setting. So, yeah, I, I thought that this worked really well. I thought that this is some of Benedict Cumberbatch's best work. Uh, Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons were also great in this also. And uh, Cody Smith McPhee, um, who plays Peter in this, Rose's son, he was great in this too. I mean, they all were great in their own way. And I think the the best thing about this, though, is the writing, the characterizations, and what this film had to say about toxic masculinity in general. So yeah, I was a fan of this. I, I, I understand, I think why it's having the success it's having. All right. Um, real quick, just to kind of recap some of that stuff. Movies for guys that like movies was on TBS. Okay. Okay. TBS. I just, I hadn't thought about that fucking thing in forever. And I was like, (laughs) what was it on? So I looked that up. Uh, So at the Golden Globes that recently just passed. uh, So your best dramas were uh, Power of the Dog, Dune, Belfast, King Richard and Coda. So Power of the Dog won that. Uh, Musical and comedies. The options were West Side Story, Don't Look Up. Tick, tick, boom, licorice pizza and Siriano. Uh, or Cyrano. Sorry, Cyrano, not Siriano, Cyrano. Um, and West Side Story won that one. Uh, so I just wanted to break that down real quick for everybody. Uh, so with this movie, I get what you're saying, Justin, about toxic masculinity. And I think that is a great subject for a movie. It needs to be the subject of more movies. Not, I guess not really. I wouldn't mind if there were more movies about it. I should say, I don't want to say it should be the subject of more movies because like, hopefully it disappears. That'd be even better. Um, but yeah, (laughs) you know, if there were more movies attacking toxic masculinity or exposing it, something like that, I would, I, I would be fine with that. I guess to me with this movie in particular, I don't think it's an effective approach because this is the type of movie that the only people that watch it are the type of people that already accept toxic masculinity as a thing that needs to end. 
I don't feel like this is the type of movie that people that actually exhibit or can learn about toxic masculinity are going to watch. So to me, it's kind of like preaching to the choir type of scenario where it's, I don't think it's the best effective medium to truly do anything beneficial with this type of story. So I do have like, I feel like it's semi kind of wasted on that. I, I like the fact that Justin, that you called this movie a slow burn because I think this is the definition of a slow burn. My problem is, is that it never actually uh, ignites or explodes or anything at some point. Cause like, that's the slow burn. It's the long fuse, but you, you get to the point of culmination. Um, I'm not saying that there has to be a big flashy scene or anything like that, but you get to the point of impact or something. And I think that this movie also kind of uh, fizzles at the end. I would say it, 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 it kind of feels like it just limps across the finish line. Uh, this movie is very much a reminder of the movie uh, the movie tagline for the movie uh, Southland Tales, which uh, the, the tagline to that movie is uh, this is how the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whisper. And that's kind of how I feel about the end of this movie. This movie doesn't end with a bang, it ends with yeah. a whisper. But that's the thing is it it kind of just constantly whispers. I mean, this movie just kind of exists and just kind of goes and it ends up feeling to me like the type of movie I hate which is uh, an Oscar bait movie now I did like this movie more than I've liked a few of the other Oscar bait movies we've gotten in previous years that seem blatant to me you know uh, was not a fan of Nomadland or Nomadland or I just said the same word twice thinking I was pronouncing it differently. <laughs> um, to me, that was just a, an Oscar rate movie. Three billboards. Pretty much anything with Francis McDormand in it to me lately comes across as an Oscar bait movie. And that's it. <laughs> Where its sole purpose in being made is to win an Oscar. Not to tell a story, not to tell anything intriguing or do anything at it's meant to just win an Oscar. And I kind of feel like that's what this movie is. Because it just limps along the whole movie. And now you do have incredible acting performances. You've got stunning cinematography. You've got great bits of dialogue. But you've got a story has more holes in it than a wiffle ball. And I feel like to me, that is the hallmark of an Oscar bait movie. The story is not really there. The story is an afterthought. And that's what this is. Like it has, it has the moral, if you will, it has the point, but the way it tells that point and the way it gets to the end and all the scenes throughout are just there. And there's no real lasting impact of this movie. This is not a movie that 
I feel like anybody watches more than once. I don't feel like this movie deserves a second watch. And it's not because it's bad. It's because it's just a movie. Like, weirdly enough, the movie that this reminded me of the most of anything I saw in 2021 is Red Notice. And it wasn't just the Netflix connection. It's the fact that to me, at the end of this movie, which uh, is two hours and eight minutes long, it feels no less than seven and a half hours long. But you're not, but you're not miserable the whole time. It doesn't feel like a miserable seven and a half hours. There's lots of movies we've had lately that are just drastically long and they feel long and it's a miserable long time. There is enough with the performances to slightly, it, it, it keeps you intrigued, it keeps you engaged. Yeah. It keeps you watching. So while it feels long, like I said, you're not miserable the whole time. I think it's only like a couple of times in this movie that I just in my head screamed for the love of God move. Which is saying a lot for me because most two hour movies, I think that at least 15 times. But it just, it went to me the same pace. This movie is also the, the definition of no pacing because it's, it's like a marathon run. Except it kind of ends, it's it's like if people are running a marathon, you know, you want that pace. So you get to your pace that you can stay at and you stay there. This movie did that the whole movie. It starts, they got to their pace. And then it's like they cut the marathon off in the middle. Because you never got to the end where you accelerate. You know, where you really push yourself. You did. This movie is just one speed. And I think in a drama, you need more than that. You need something to ebb and flow it a little bit. To truly grasp at the emotionality that this film had potential to get. But I didn't hate it. I truly didn't. I'm not going to lie. And I'll deny this if you tell anybody. I wanted to hate this movie. I did. I wanted to hate it. But I don't hate it. I truly don't. And I understand why some people are truly loving this movie. Now, to say it is the best movie of 2021? No. I wouldn't agree with that. I don't think this movie in any way, shape, or form would have broken my top 10 at all. At all. But I would still almost describe this movie not as a must-see of 2021, but a you should probably see of 2021. I know we're in 2022 now, but 
this movie did come out last year. So it's just this movie, it needed more fat. This was just a very lean piece of beef. Almost like the, almost like a beef tenderloin, you know, like a, like a filet. A lot of people loved the filet. It's nice. It's tender. It's always, always tender. Even if you fuck up and overcook it, it's still tender. And it's very overpriced, but that never stops anybody. Everybody wants the filet, you know, but that's not, that's never what a chef wants. You know what I mean? A chef never would go and order a filet. The reason being is there's no fat on a filet. It's just all meat. And 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 like the 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 steak eater, the 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 chef, like the steakhouse, like you you want do you want that fatty meat? You want that meat that's well marbled and got fat, fat interlaced in the meat. Because as if you cook your steak properly, that fat melts. No, it didn't go away completely. No, no, no. But it renders. It gets softer. That the, the fat juice leaks into your meat. It makes your steak more juicy. And that's flavor too. A filet tends to be a very bland piece of beef. It doesn't have a lot of beefy taste to it. Or something like a ribeye does, or even a sirloin. Get that fat cap melted. It's a very beefy flavor. And to me, this was just, this was a filet. I get why people order it. It's not a bad piece of meat in any way, shape, or form, but I want the beefiness. I want the flavor. I want the, the well-marbled fat throughout my steak. This just didn't have it. So. That concludes Sterling's food talk for this episode. Uh, recommendations and scores? Yeah. Yeah. That's the wrong button. Recommendations and score. I wonder if that fucked with anybody a little bit. They're like, wait, is that the, the intro music again? <laughs> it was. Sorry. Uh. You st- you started it, Heather. So, uh, Justin, you go. Yeah, um, I definitely recommend it. I think that just out of the award season movies I've seen, uh, I-, I think it's definitely the best one of those. Um, and like I said at the beginning, and I just kind of fall on the other side of what some of these people are saying. Like, I, I think that there are some big events that happen in this. And some of the revelations when you get to the end of this had me going, oh, that happened or, oh, damn. You know, like it had me, I reacted at the end. I didn't feel just like a shoulder shrug or anything like that at the end. I thought the ending was was pretty tight. And rather poignant for the story that they told. So I just completely uh, fall on the other side of uh, everything that was just said. I think it's really good. I think it's superbly acted. 
And I think the what it's talking about is topical. It's something that I think will invoke conversation. And the thing is, is that with the whole preaching to the choir argument, I mean, that that just depends on who watches the movie. I, I, I don't feel like this movie was made with just a specific audience in mind. And I think that the more awards attention it gets and things like that, I think it'll drive interest to see the movie. And that's always got to be your hope is that more people will watch it based on the buzz that it's given. Even if they didn't have any interest initially, you hope that because of the buzz, more people will watch it. I didn't even know about this movie until I saw that it was getting awards buzz. So, you know, I'm also in that camp. It wasn't like, I was looking for a movie like this or anything like that. Perhaps I wasn't the audience for it, but I found out about it and then watched it. So I think that's a good thing. So I, I so I'm definitely going to recommend it because it's it, it covers important subject matter that needs to be covered. And then I think ultimately what you have is just uh, it's a nice little spin like I said, on the revenge test. So you're getting something a little bit different than what you get all the time. Uh, But I think it also has some important messages. And like I said, it's got some of the best acting that I've seen from some of these actors. So I don't know. I feel like that's enough when you add all that up, you know, topical message, um, good, very well shot, good cinematography, good characters, a story that I think culminates well at the end. I think that's enough to recommend it. And I think, I hope that more people see it because I, because the conversations that it can invoke, I think are worthy conversations to have. Uh, so with that being said, we're going to go with, um, we're going to go with 90, man, which one do I want to use? Uh, we're going to go with 90 uh, not so great uh, piano performances at, at the at the dinner get together out of 100. What about you, Heather? Yeah, I mean, and I will say, like, while I do appreciate that people want to make movies like this, and I actually didn't know this until today, but this is actually based off of a novel from I think 1967. So yeah, I didn't realize that, but in either case, I I do appreciate that they do want to make stories about this topic and things like that and make something a little bit different. Um, And I do, I will slightly say I agree with Jastin in that, you know, towards the latter half of this movie, certain things that happen, I was kind of like, Oh, okay. But I think the issue for me lies with, sort of how you guys were talking about that slow burn. Um, I think that is a great way to put it because kind of like what Sterling was saying, it's a slow burn, but by the time it actually does ignite, it's basically the end of the movie. And for me, that's sort of like the saving grace of this movie, I think was probably the last like maybe half hour of the movie. Um, Everything else was just very, you know, slow and just kind of, treading along um so yes i do think there were moments that i was like oh okay 
uh, didn't expect some of it, you know, things like that. But um, I guess just still for me, I, and I think part of the issue could also be that while I do also agree that the performances were fantastic, not an issue with any performance in this movie. Everybody was super great, which I expected. Maybe I just didn't, there weren't any characters for me that I feel like I just really connected with maybe or related to. Um, and not that I need to always relate to a character, but I didn't really feel a specific connection to any particular character in this. And sometimes that I will admit kind of can take me out of, you know, the story of what's going on. Or maybe it's the story itself didn't really connect with me on the level the same way that it might with, you know, other people or even males or just anything like that. But um, not that I'm saying only males can like it. I'm just saying like for me, my connection was a little bit more limited to to this movie. So um, I think that that might be part of why for me it was just only okay. Um, it, it is it is kind of a hard line to toe because I do, I, I lean more towards kind of how Sterling feels on this one. But um, I do see, again, I do appreciate and understand that there are people that really enjoy this and I get why. But again, I guess I can go with that phrase that I use of it's just kind of not fully my cup of tea, maybe. <laughs> not that it's a bad movie. It's just not my preferred type of movie that resonates with me more than any other movie would. So, um, but I do think, and then, you know, obviously Benedict Cumberbatch, I think he's, I think he's a great actor. I, I will say this is probably one of his finer performances as far as just the diversity of characters he can play. Like, I don't think I've ever seen him really play anything like this before. So I do agree with that. Um, I do think this is probably one of Kirsten Dunst's better performances, at least of recent years. And uh, Cody Smith McPhee, he was great. And he also, I believe, won um, for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama at the Golden Globes. And I actually agree with that. I have no issues with that. I think that that makes sense. Um, oh, yeah. I'm glad to hear that, that he won. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did. Um, so, and, and I'm on board with that. I have no issues with that. But again, I do think that this movie was carried more by the performances of the actors than it was about the actual story of the movie. That's my personal feelings on it. Um, yeah, it just, it kind of falls in a very complacent place for me. Um, you know, and, and I feel bad about that in a way because I'm just like, man, people are loving this movie. I want to get, I want to get on board. I want to see what's going on with it. And it just, it's one of those that missed the mark for me as far as like understanding completely like, yes, people love this and I totally understand it. Like, and I understand it, but I, it just, it wasn't the same feeling. It's not, I didn't have the feeling from this movie that I hoped I would have for as much wonderful things as I'm hearing about this movie. Um, but again, more just probably not my cup of tea than it is actually a bad movie because it's definitely not a bad movie in any sort of way. Um, just slow. And because it was slowly paced, it was boring in parts to me, especially towards the beginning. But like I said, the latter half of it, at least the last 30, 45 minutes, it did pick up pace. More interesting things were happening with the stories and the characters in the in the movie. And I got a little bit more on board with it at that point. Um, 
but yeah, like I said, by the time that I was a little bit more fully invested in either the characters or the story of what was going on, it was almost too late because the movie was basically over by that point. I just wish that they had kind of drawn me in or that I would have been more drawn in a little bit sooner in the movie than I was. Um, but that being said, yeah, again, beautifully shot, very well acted. Um, I, I'm going to give this probably, let's go with, um, 65 trades with the Native Americans for some nice gloves out of a hundred. Well, um, like I said earlier, I'm going to give this movie, uh, this is not a must see, but it's a, you should see, you probably should see recommendation. Uh, I just think it's, there are more effective ways to tell the story. I think there are better ways to tell the story. I think there were too many holes in the story for me to truly get behind a lot of aspects of this movie. And I think the ending to me is still just insanely underwhelming. I think it's just because of the way the pacing is. It's, I think you may miss it. And I'll talk more about that a little bit in spoilers. Um, it does have great acting. It's got great cinematography. It's got just an okay storytelling. The story itself, like the overall arcing story itself, isn't terrible. I think it can be very effective. I think it would have been more effective if it was told better. But I get why somebody would want to tell this story as a whole. And like Justin brought up, the the kind of, I don't want to say moral, but the theme of the movie, if you will, being toxic masculinity is not a topic that, you know, I think is a, a bad topic. I think that's a very good topic. I think that that is something that should be addressed more and I think would help a lot of, or could help a lot of people if it was something that was truly addressed. I do think it's a very important issue. But I just don't know if I necessarily agree with how this movie handled this toxic masculinity. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see more in a little bit because I got to get into spoilers to talk a little bit more about my feelings with some of that. So, uh, that being said, I, I was a little bit unfair to this movie earlier. I did kind of slightly compare it to Red Notice. This is a infinitely better movie than red notice um because red notice is like the definition of a 50 percent movie it is just 100 a movie um i'm gonna give this movie a 62 uh, 62 rawhide ropes out of 100 uh spoilers Yep. Yep. Spoilers. Um, one reason why I was kind of let down by this movie 
in the end of this movie and stuff is kind of how they did the whole that kid murdered him aspect of it all. Like it just kind of goes by as ever so slightly. It's one of those things that like whilst watching it didn't click. And then literally as soon as the credits hit, I was like, Oh, they just said, they just said that he murdered him. Okay. Like it just kind of like, like I said, just kind of gleans through it all, you know? And I don't think it truly, I don't think it truly set that up properly. There were lots of aspects of this movie. I didn't understand why they were making those things in a lot of ways. Like uh, Kirsten Dunst's random alcoholism. I did not get where the fuck that came from or how they were truly trying to justify it in this movie. Because they tried to throw it a lot back towards Phil. And they're like, oh, just Phil torments her. But does he? Like, because what it shows you in the movie, whilst shitty and kind of trolly, isn't alcoholism worthy? It felt like they left that scene out. It's like all he does yeah, is I like get that. kind of call her a gold digger at one point. And then after that, all he does is make fun of her piano playing. And whistles the tune of the song she fucked up. And the way the events play out in this movie, it very much comes across as, oh, no, I embarrassed myself playing the piano. My life is over. Alcoholism. (laughs) And if there were other correlating events and factors and, and tribulations, they don't say it. They don't show it. They may heavily imply it, but I'm kind of going to pull a Jaspin here to then show it. And they don't. And that kind of drove me nuts. I, I feel like they do that a lot through this movie. I don't completely buy, you know, kid killing him or wanting to kill him. That isn't completely sold in my eyes either. Like, I understand that you could argue that he was wanting to be protective of his mother and was worried that Phil would do something to his mother. But by the end of the scene that Phil was mad at the mom, he had slightly started to de-escalate. And really didn't come across like he was going to. I don't know. I just I did not buy that it was a life or death situation. Now, if you want to argue that the kid's just a sociopath. Maybe I can maybe see that argument. But at the same time, I think the movie is playing a little fast and loose with that. Because then there are lots of aspects of this movie that would dictate that that wouldn't be the case. And they just kind of play like I said, fast and loose with those ideas just to get the desired ending. It's either that or the, the kid really was stupid and it was all an accident. 
But I kind of feel like the movie was trying to say, nah, he murdered him. Yeah. So. I'm just having some issues with some of that. I'm having some issues with some of the way they were also trying to tell some of these themes. Because whilst this is a movie about toxic masculinity, I think some of this also they kind of rely on certain outdated themes when it comes to some of the toxic masculinity aspects. And I'm not talking about the time period or anything like that, but if you're trying to successfully tell a story about toxic masculinity nowadays, I think it's disingenuous and kind of wrong to add in potential elements of repressed homosexuality causing said uh, toxic masculinity and or what is possibly considered a grooming relationship into that aspect of it too. And you can imply technically multiple aspects of grooming relationships, multiple different types in this movie. And I think that that's dangerous too, because it almost screams in some instances to imply that if somebody was groomed or sexually assaulted or sexually misused or any of that type of that or has an alternative sexual lifestyle or anything like that. I shouldn't say alternative sexual lifestyle that imply that it's other, but anyway, just any sort of sexual orientation or uh, possible sexual damage or sexual assault to you would cause you to become toxic. Is slightly implied a lot of times in this movie. And I don't like that it did that. To try to use those types of aspects to tell a story about toxic masculinity. Because I think that's disingenuous to what toxic masculinity truly is. To imply that, you know, you would have to be something else to experience those feelings or to experience that type of emotional behavior with it is irresponsible and wrong to me. And I think kind of directly goes against what is an effective way to tell a story about toxic masculinity. You know, and I'm, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about some of these aspects specifically with this movie with it, because like a lot of those instances bothered me. Now, I do appreciate that it never fully went into some of those. Like the the movie didn't fully dive into some of those aspects or fully commit to saying that that's what some of it was. Because then I would, you know, argue that it's intentionally going that route. But it just, it kind of heavily implies it a little too much for me to fully be on board with a lot of that. So... Also, I mean, I guess I I want to start like interacting more with you guys with the aspect of whether or not you think he murdered him or not. I'm I'm assuming from the what Heather has said, she does assume that he murdered him. Um. Yeah. But what about you, Justin? Did the kid murder Phil? Uh, yes. At the beginning of the movie, the kid's monologuing about. 
his father dying and having to help his mother. And there was the line about what kind of kid would I be? What kind of son would I be if I didn't help my mom? So in the opening monologue, he kind of alludes to he did something to help her. So then at the end, um, you know, you put the pieces together like him and the, the, the anthrax, they kind of talk about that throughout the film. And then it kind of comes into play. He uses that, you know, um, sort of befriends Phil, but then finds an opportunity and takes it in. Essentially, that's what you have. And so then you have him at the end, you know, uh, with that rope, which in a way was the murder weapon because he had, he had, because those hides were from that cow that was dead and diseased. And then on top of that, that open wound that Phil had. So he almost kept that rope as kind of, it was almost like it was a trophy kind of because that in a, in a sense was the murder weapon here. And then him smiling at his mom outside, you know, with, um, with George and everything like that. I think that pretty much tells you that, yeah, he did this. He was trying to remove Phil who was, who he saw as the problem for his, for Rose. And so that's sort of what happened. Also, he was wearing gloves when he was touching the rope at the end. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. On top yeah. of that, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to, yeah, because like, the was, whole scene, he's also wearing gloves yeah. with it. So, yeah, we were all on the same page then. He didn't murder him. Um, I just, I don't know. Like I said, I just, I can't connect all the dots because I think this movie leaves out the dots. I think this movie is like a one to a hundred connect the dot thing, but like, you know, every fourth number is just missing. So while you do get the overall picture, it doesn't quite work right. You know, some of the, some of the turns or some of the angles are different than they should be because of some of the stuff in this movie. Um, so what are y'all's thoughts on some of the stuff I said? That's really all I'm going to talk about right now. Cause I just really do want to get to what you guys think about what I said. And then you guys can continue on and keep talking and I'll bring up more points later. Yeah. And just to kind of add to what you guys were saying about like the, the fact that it was murder. Um, I also just think a lot of his behavior and just kind of how he was carrying himself in certain situations just kind of made it feel also like that. Like the fact that, you know, they, they built this relationship and everything like that. But then, um, you know, right before or or the, the day that um, George and Phil are leaving, you know, to take him to get help. And, you know, he had spent, Phil had spent all night making that rope for the boy and he didn't even want to like see him or say bye to him or anything like that before he left, you know, and he, you could just see him out the window, right. He just kind of leaves the rope there and the guy's like, Oh yeah, I'll make sure he gets it. He just kind of stayed in his room kind of like pacing and, you know, waiting for him to leave basically didn't even say bye kind of thing, you know? 
So I feel like that sort of is a little bit behavior of somebody who is, you know, intentionally done something like that. When you see everything else play out, it feels like, oh, okay, so that behavior of him not wanting to see him kind of makes sense then. Because at first I was like, well, why wouldn't he want to? Like they just spent all night like working on this rope and all that. And then seeing, yeah, the fact that he was just kind of like hiding from him. So he wouldn't see him before he left town and essentially dies, you know, um, he, he just, yeah, he hides away. And I feel like that was sort of a, an indicator of the fact that he did it, you know, after, when you think about it after the fact. So yeah, just some of his behaviors also is kind of what led me to believe that yes, he did murder him. And I will say also like sort of to your, I I think my, one of the things about this movie that I will say for it is it is a master of implication. Like it implies a lot of things and you pick up a lot of what it's trying to tell you without actually showing you anything, which it's kind of creative how they do that. You know, like the implications of Phil's sexuality and the implications of even just what their relationship might be and the implications of just kind of slowly seeing these things playing out on screen, like the boy cutting up animals and like, you know, cause he wants to be a doctor and just kind of taking them apart and seeing what's going on and, you know, finding the animal that was kind of, you know, anthrax infested and, you know, seeing the, his hand going into the water and being soaked up in that. And like just all the, it implies a lot of things and shows you a lot of things without having to really tell you what they're doing. And I do feel like while there are, there are issues with that where you, you kind of miss like, okay, so you could have done more with certain aspects of the story if you had shown more, but as far as how it implies some themes and some things that happen in this movie, I think it's pretty clever with how it does it. If that makes sense. Um, you know, even just kind of the implications of what Phil's relationship is with uh, the boy. And I can't remember the boy's name, Peter, does name Peter. Yeah. Peter. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and obviously you can, you're gathering that he clearly kind of sees himself in Peter. Like he sees like that he was Peter when he was Peter's age and you know, his, his mentor, uh, was it Bronco Henry? Is that what his name was? Yeah. Bronco Henry. Bronco Henry. Yeah. 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 So, you know, obviously Bronco Henry was sort of like his mentor and his person that he was close with. And it does imply a lot about what their relationship actually was without specifically saying what their relationship was. Right. Um, you just, you kind of, you're sensing that he feels like he relates a lot to this kid. Um, my, my bigger kind of one thing that kind of takes me away from the story of that is just that kid is so young (laughs) and like, I don't know. I just, I know that there was a reason that he, you know, it was like, okay, I was your age when I met my mentor and, you know, he's kind of mirroring the situation that he was in, but just because they get very borderline close to like implying that, you know, he is attracted to this kid that is much younger and also a teenager, not even of age. 
that kind of threw me a little bit. Like it wasn't enough to completely take me out of the story because I realized so many other things that they were trying to do with the story of their relationship. But it just kind of was something that irked me a little bit. Like I just kind of wish maybe he, maybe he was still a kid, but he was at least older, like in his twenties or even 18. Like, you know what I mean? I just kind of wish he had been a little bit older because that sort of kind of irked me a little bit. Just the fact that they had this, you know, complicated relationship that almost seemed like attraction to each other, but he was just so young. And I just wish that they would have made him older if they were going to play that aspect of it, if that makes sense. What about you, Justin? Um, where to begin? Okay. Um, I guess uh, to, to, to start with more about the murder plot and things like that. And like, I think that what you said, um, Heather uh, is really key with this movie. Th- this is one of those movies where what they show you, I felt is enough. You know, th- there are a lot of like implications or they do certain things to imply uh, the- these other things. And I think that, b- but ultimately the way I felt was after watching it was that that enough was given for you to be able to um, infer what happened or understand kind of character motivations, did different things like that. You know, the, the, there are little, a, a lot of little fun hints that it gives. Like, for instance, when Peter and Phil um, trap, when that, ra- when Phil traps that rabbit uh, in, in the wood or whatever. And then when they finally get the rabbit, the rabbit is hurt or whatever. And then Phil is like, put the rabbit out of its misery. And, you know, he's thinking um, that, you know, that that Peter is just going to, you know, kill the rabbit or whatever. Like, it's just going to be this quick kind of kill thing. And then he's shocked when he sees Peter sort of caress this rabbit and saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, and then just suddenly snaps his neck. You know, no, like, thought qualms behind about it. it. You know, no qualms about it, not bothered by it. And his amazement that this person who he looks at as this feminine kind of male, this boy who's weak, he's scrawny, he doesn't have that that kind of that in him and then to see him do that was kind of shocking to feel and then they're talking you know later on under that tree and when he's talking about his father peter is talking about his father hanging himself and then you find out he was the one that took his father's body down And like did all of this and like the look on Benedict Cumberbatch's face, like the look on Phil's face when he's hearing all of this, like these just, yeah, like these just, uh, these crazy things that this kid has been through. So like and 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 this kid's like 
iron resolve. And I think that that was the contrast between the two characters. You had somebody who was perfectly comfortable with their masculinity, like who they were and stuff like that. Peter knew who he was. Peter was comfortable in his own skin. Peter didn't mind making paper flowers or being who he was or having the mannerisms that he had or whatever, you know, and loving his mother and all of that kind of stuff was perfectly comfortable with all of that and was perfectly capable of doing this. Like, like, like when you, when I add it all up, it definitely seems like this is a character who could do all of this. And the opposite of him is Phil who is like a tragic character. I don't agree that this was trying to say that like all toxic masculinity is like this, or it was trying to imply that a person who is this way has toxic masculinity. I don't think it was that deep in that way. I think what I gathered from Phil's character is he is a very tragic character you know, he had this mentor, Bronco Henry, and and everything like that, who taught him how to ride and everything like that. But let's just not beat around the bush and call it what it was. They were in a gay relationship. You know, he is, uh, Phil is a closet gay. But with that, what is his outward appearance and what does he try to do? He is very much this person who tries to uphold this macho facade, right? Everything is about being macho and, oh, you know, he's always telling these stories about Bronco Henry, about how he was just so great. And the time that he, they bet that he couldn't stand on this horse and ride it or whatever. And he, and he rode it and did it. And he was so brave and he taught them how to, how to be these cowhands and how to run this ranch and everything like that. You know, Bronco Henry was like this legend or whatever, but there was this relationship that Bronco, him and Bronco Henry had and the depths that this man was going through to hide all of that, the, the depths that he was going through, you know, going through making this little path in the trees where he would go by himself and then, like, when he had that cloth that uh, still had Bronco Henry's sin on it, and he's, like, uh, almost trying to, you know, remembering that relationship and pleasuring himself with this and stuff like that. But the tragic thing about all of this is, is that he's hiding all of this to project this image that he thinks he needs to project to other people. He's bad-mouthing women all the time. He's calling his brother a fatso and always calling him, you know, you're fat, ugly, this, that, and the other. Or the story about the girl, the one girl who liked um, who liked his brother George and, you know, you, you'd have to put a paper bag over her to take her anywhere. You know, the, he came off as just like this man's man type of guy. You bathing know, in mud. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Bathing in mud, getting himself all dirty and stuff like that. And then you just see how much of a facade that this all is. Like this man is dirtying himself and going around people not taking baths. But all of that is the mask. 
You know what I mean? That the mask that this person is putting on hiding all of this. And then the way that he talked to his brother, and, and it's clear that he wants to be closer to his brother, but he's pushing him away at the same time, you know, because he can't be himself. Like, like that scene where they're riding on the horses and he's like, you know, it's our anniversary and, you know, Bronco Henry taught us this and this is the anniversary of us coming together and we really need to celebrate. And George is like, totally no sales. And he just is like, doesn't seem to care about this at all and everything like that. And you could tell that it hurt Phil that he didn't care as much about that as him and everything. And he's like, man, like, why don't, you know, I can't get two words out of you. You know, he had a line there where he was talking to him and everything like that. And like, you know, you think about how sad this character is like his brother is probably the person closest to him now. It was Bronco Henry. Bronco Henry's dead. So, and that was not only just a mentor, that was his lover. So now, you know, the closest person to him is his brother. But now, but then enters, but now Rose enters the picture. And now even that relationship, even though he's not as close to his brother as probably he should be because of all the inner turmoil that's going on with him, you know, so his brother can't really connect with him. Right. Because, and see that that's why I think this movie is so great. Like his brother, George can't even connect with him. Why? Because a lot, because Phil is a difficult person to be around, you know, with this, with with this big need to be this big imposing man's man male person but you know I, it's almost like george almost in a way none of that feels genuine to him he can't really get behind that he, they don't have the best relationship and george sometimes you could tell he just didn't want to be around that like whenever like that one time like he visited rose and he came home at night and he was just kind of sitting there by himself. You know, he kind of sits there uh, at the bottom of the stairs by himself. And it was almost like he's catching himself. You know what I mean? Like, you know, catching a breath before I have to go up here and deal with Phil. That's what it felt like to me. That's sort of the impression I got. Then what happens? Phil sees him, comes down there, tries to engage him in some conversation. And what does he do? Well, good night, Phil. And then he goes up the stairs kind of, avoiding him and maybe I understood that because I had been this person like trying to avoid somebody who you really like don't like yes y'all are family members or yes y'all are friends but y'all don't really connect in that way you have different ideals different things and you're just like sometimes you have to stomach that person like even though they're a family member (laughs) even though they're this because you just you're just so different from them, but it's so sad because we now realize at the end that all this that Phil was doing, being difficult, doing all of these things was a facade to hide who he really was because of how he felt he needed to be. What kind of man he felt he needed to be was not the kind of man that he was. And that in essence is a big thing about toxic masculinity, you know, it, the the pressure that it puts on us to be a certain kind of man, to 
project yourself a certain way. You got to be tough. You got to have these attributes. You got to be this kind of person, but all the while hiding the person that he really was. And ultimately, that is what kills him, because when Rose comes into the picture with uh, with with George, you could feel is threatened by that because George is the last kind of person, the, the last real kind of connection that he has. The, the, I mean, because this man is hella lonely. And, and I think that was another big thing about this movie, too, was the loneliness of men and kind of what we can sometimes go through and what that causes us to do, like the desperate things that it causes us to do and the way that we treat other people. He couldn't deal with George having someone in his life. So at any chance he got, you got the sense that at any chance he got, there was verbal abuse to Rose always talking down to her, always, you know, I didn't have to see a bunch of scenes to know that's what that man was doing. Whenever she was trying to practice on the piano and then him, uh, you know, playing his banjo or whatever over a kind of mocking her, like, look how perfect I can play this and how you can. So when she couldn't play at the, at the dinner party, I totally understood why she couldn't get any practice in because at every waking moment, that man is probably there saying something, doing something, you know, just intimidating, like the, the looks that he would give her and, and the, and, and like that scene where he overhears George and Rose having sex and he just breaks down and he's just so angry and he's just like crying to himself because he couldn't have that anymore because he lost that when he lost Bronco Henry. Like this character is just hella tragic to me. And for a lot of men, that's how toxic masculinity, that's how it is. Like you are a prisoner to what you think a man is supposed to be. All these things that a man is supposed to have all these attributes that a man is supposed to project. And sometimes that's just not who you really are, but you can't, but you don't feel like you can be who you are because of the, the situation that surrounds you. So I think that he was a very tragic character, like in the end. So while when the movie starts, I'm, I don't like this character. He's being ugly towards his brother. He's bullying. Um, he's bullying Peter and making Rose cry about it because of the way he talked down to Peter. He's doing all these things. He's being kind of verbally abusive to Rose and all of these different things. And, you know, the way that he comes off calling Peter Nancy and all of this kind of stuff. And you just really don't like this character. But I think by the time it got to where it revealed who he actually was and what this relationship with Bronco Henry was and everything like that, I was like, oh, man, that's why he's such an asshole. That's why he's always playing it macho and acting manly and stuff like that. Oh, that's why whenever they were him and the rest of the cowhands were partying and you see them, they're singing and dancing and they've got women and stuff like that. He's by himself, leaves early and goes and crawls into bed because the person who he had is gone. 
you know? Um, and there was just something very tragic about that to me. And then when you look at George's character, he escaped the loneliness, right? Like he escaped that he didn't really have a lot of good social tendencies and he wasn't really, you know, the best at talking to people and stuff like that. And there's a couple of examples of that. You know, he didn't know how to tell George different things and you could tell that he had trouble uh, socially and things like that. But he met Rose and Rose kind of saved him. I thought that that was such a great scene where she's trying to teach him how to dance and he stops And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, he's stopping because this is not manly or maybe he thinks that this is not. But I thought that that was very cool, man, that he was crying and he was like, I'm just so relieved to not be alone. Like, that was just very telling to me. Like, so you have a brother that escaped it with Rose. But that also fueled the jealousy of this character who just felt like he was alone in so many different ways. He was alone, Phil, because he was alone because he lost Bronco Henry. He was alone because he couldn't really be the person that he was. And then you look over here at his brother, George, who kind of found his way out of that, or somebody like Peter, who was comfortable in his own skin, you know? And you know, the last thing I was so, uh, so I really like all of that. I just thought was great. You know, I, I was along for the ride. Like I, you know, as they're building, doing the characterizations and they're building up these characters and stuff like that. And you see Peter dissecting this rabbit, you know, a minute ago, you know, him and his mom are having this moment with this rabbit. And then a minute, and then a minute later, he's dissecting the rabbit and everything like that. You know, like I loved all of the subtle things that they did with these characters back and forth to just kind of show where they were. And I think that Rose, like going back to her, you know, you had one uh, lost one husband because of, you know, a suicide and everything like that. And then, you know, trying to love George and everything like that. But, you know, her son going off to school and then having to be there with Phil and God knows just every interaction, just being damn near unpleasant and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, what would a person like that go to drinking? Uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But I, I could definitely see with what, his toxic masculinity was doing to her. I I could see that having an effect on her because when men do showcase toxic masculinity, that is one of the byproducts products of it. You're abusive towards women. You you don't appreciate them. You don't uh you 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 overlook their value. You 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 do things like this. You know. You do things like this. This is kind of par for the course with toxic masculinity. You sometimes don't know how to connect with other women because of these things that have been instilled in you. And then that even goes back to Bronco Henry. Like it's tragic also because, you know, you speculate about this Bronco Henry relationship. He said that, 
you know, Bronco Henry became my mentor when I was about your age, whenever he was talking to Peter. So he was very young and impressionable. So now you have this person who it probably wasn't his fault. He could have been probably was groomed by Bronco Henry and all of that happened. But now he's sort of trapped because he he can't whatever he's feeling, you know, whether it was love for Bronco Henry, admiration, everything like that, you know, whether it in this case, if it seemed like he loved or, and admired Bronco Henry, but let's just say you did it the opposite way. And it was trauma. Even still, all of that is trapped within him and he can't express these things. He doesn't talk about these things. He doesn't reveal these things to anybody because he feels like he has to project this image. And I think and I think that when you're talking about toxic masculinity, that is exactly what it is. You know, you, you what a man feels he has to be based on these stereotypes, these things and everything that's around them versus what he actually is and trying to find the common ground in that. So I, I thought that all of that was tight, man. I was uh, definitely feeling this. And that's why, like, I recommend people watch it because this is just kind of that movie. It's got some real shit in it, man. Like, this is more about the journeys of the characters and it's more about the acting and everything like that rather than it is this um, plot. The, the plot is the characters, in my opinion, and kind of how they all relate to this sort of, how they all kind of relate to their masculinity in certain ways and how they treat people as a result of that is what I gathered from this. Uh, when you were talking about Peter, I guess that's something I didn't think about when it comes to this movie is that Peter was kind of the opposite of Paul of being so completely secure within himself that that might infuriate Paul. So I didn't necessarily take that aspect into account with some of the stuff because that part of it, I guess, didn't click with me completely. That that was how they were portraying Peter. So I that I do give kudos to this movie for that. Like looking back on what you said with it, it makes sense, you know. Um, but with Paul, I guess my issue with it is, is the fact that I know for the time period in which this movie is set, you know, you would, uh, being a homosexual is not something that would be, you know, met with, uh, you know, okay feelings from other people. So you would have to hide it and stuff like that. But I don't know. I guess I have issues with this movie being about toxic masculinity and all these things. And it's still having part of the root cause be homosexuality and repressing it. Like there are other ways to show uh, toxic masculinity without having to scapegoat that aspect of it. Um, and stuff like that. I think that that's just kind of a tiring trope with a lot of characters. I mean, that's the same story as the fucking dad in American beauty. You know, it's the same thing with that. And I understand that that is something that is still somewhat prevalent, but I do find it just slightly tiresome for that to be the story again. I mean, you've had episodes of law and order SVU 
since that fucking started for like the last 21 years dealing with the same thing. It's just kind of a tiring trope to me to use that as a a baseline or a, a, a fact or a part of somebody being toxic because of that. It's just kind of tiresome at this point to have that be the storyline again with that, you know, and that's why I just, I have a hard time with that. And I get what you're saying. Like this movie heavily implies so many things, but I have a problem with that because it doesn't fucking say anything though. It heavily implies 90 billion different things, but won't show it. It won't commit to it. Like my problem with, like, I agree that, you know, they imply that Paul mentally tortures the fuck out of that woman. But the scenes they show the aspects of it, they choose to show. Don't show a strong enough correlation to her her character's arc becoming what it was. I mean, the scenes like that's what I think bothers me with that. The scenes they choose to show of that come across as just adolescent trolling. And I understand that there is some elements of his character that are adolescent in nature. And I don't want to discredit that aspect of it. That's why he, you know, with the name calling to his brother, like, hey, fatso and stuff like that. Like there is some adolescent aspects of his nature. But like I said, the scenes that they show that drive her more and more in alcoholism and drinking and, and, and separation from and or alienating herself from everybody and stuff like that is her making fun of one type of piano thing and then whistling that song. That's a weird thing when you just show that aspect of it and then show her becoming an alcoholic and becoming vindictive back to him and then showing that Peter needs to murder him to protect his mother from him. Visually in the movie, they do a bad job of correlating that. And like I said, they just imply too much. Because with the amount that they imply in this movie to me, means they didn't actually think it through. Or that they left stuff out. For all we know in the book, it extrapolates all that even more. It has all these instances, whatever, and all this other stuff. And it's like, to me, they pick the worst examples of it. The only one that I truly understood from that perspective was the scene at the beginning when she's crying because of what they were like when they were picking on her son because she felt helpless in that moment and I get that it's just the rest of the movie with that character arc of hers it doesn't quite make sense I don't like all the implied sociopathy with Peter That's a slightly tiresome thing. And also just insanely inaccurate with how they do it. Most sociopaths also wouldn't be insanely protective of their mother like they are in this, like he is in this. Like wanting to kill that man to protect his mother as like what he was saying at the beginning of the movie and and through actions and all this other stuff. That's not a sociopathic behavior, but they play a lot of what he does throughout the movie as sociopathic 
which is disingenuous to actual sociopathy or even psychopathy, if that's what it is. It just shows a crude understanding of stuff like that, which once again goes into issues I have with some of these movies and stuff like that, where they just kind of key in on some fucking keywords or some shit, and they want to throw it in without any actual care or forethought to truly show what something like that is. You know, they imply so much in this movie that he's a sociopath, but then they get rid of aspects of sociopathic behavior just to make it work for the movie or the book. I don't know. I don't know how much they deviate or what, but that's lazy to me. Like these, so much of this story plays out like fucking law and order episodes from the fucking mid two thousands. And that's not when law and order was its best. Let's be real. I know seen all of them. I've seen every episode. Well, the exception of the newest season of law and order SVU and technically was it law and order organized crime outside of that. I've seen every episode of law and order that exists outside of those. And this plays off like that with the keywords and stuff like that. It plays out like a TV show. You know, toxic male persona, repressed homosexuality, you know, sociopath, uh, because he does this, this, and this, um, you know, deranged behavior into alcoholism because this, this, and this, it plays out like a TV show to me. And what a movie shouldn't do that. Also, and like, and one thing that drove me nuts, and this is a big swerve and I'm sorry, it's a big swerve. This is the year 2021. Can we quit having breaks in a fucking movie to throw a Roman numeral up on a fucking screen so you can (laughs) tell your story like it's a book or something? Get out of here with that (laughs) shit. That's tiresome to me. Like, because that means that they don't know how to either transition. Like, I know they're doing some of that to kind of show a transition in time. You know, like this isn't this next scene is not a direct connector to the scene before it. I get it. There are more effective ways to do that. And we don't need to sit there and do like throw some Roman numerals up, especially because I feel like I don't remember a single one after Roman numeral five, which takes place halfway through the movie. Roman numeral five pops up literally about one hour into the movie. I don't remember another one for the rest of the movie. I could be wrong. I'm not saying I am right. But it kind of feels like they go chapters one through five, if you will. Or the first half of the movie and the rest of the movie is all five. (laughs) Which is just weird to me. I just, that's a very tiresome trope also. To to me, I think that's what it is, is. There's a lot of tropes in here that I see in so many other things. And I don't feel like this was any more effective in telling them. You know, there's aspects of this character that are the same as Heath Ledger's character in Brokeback Mountain. And I think it was done better in Brokeback. I just, I have a hard time connecting with a lot of these aspects when I don't feel like the movie truly connected with these aspects. Like, I get what you're saying, Justin. And I wish I had your passion with this about this movie. 
because I'm not gonna lie, I'm listening to you talk about this movie and what you saw in this movie and what you got from this movie. And I'm just sitting here going, man, that movie sounds fucking fantastic. <laughs> and then I remember we're talking about the same movie. And I'm like, fuck, I didn't. All these things that you're talking about and, and like amped and passionate about. I, unfortunately, I could not be any more like lukewarm about. Because I, I, I. I don't really think that those connective tissues are there and it's just too much is implied. And I'm not saying that you can't imply, imply things in a movie. Lots of movies have you imply things. I'm not saying implication is bad because sometimes you do want some ambiguity woven throughout your movie. I just think that this movie took every chance it could to just not explain the things that it just didn't want to. And to me, that, that kind of, it just doesn't sit well. And I think that that's why I connect this more with some of the other Oscar Beatty movies that I have problems with. Because I think that there's a ton of holes in what three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. To me, that narrative is so fucking Swiss cheesy. Just all the holes in the world. Motivations don't line up. But like, it's great acting. The The theme of the story is there. I like the theme. I like the acting. It's just the character. It comes motiv- down to execution. Yeah, the character motivations that are built through the narrative. Don't click. I don't. I mean, I guess I could spoil the ending of Three Billboards now because it's been what, like, three years. Fucking see, see the movie if you care about it. Spoilers, but like that Sam Rockwell turn at the end of that movie—that they're just like joining together for the common enemy type of situation. Like, I don't think the movie justified it. Kind of like how in this movie, I don't feel like they truly within the movie justified the complete downward spiral of Kirsten Dunst's character. And I don't agree with what they used to tell the toxic masculinity story with the, 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 the Paul character. I'm not saying with what you're talking about. Phil, 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 you're right. Sorry. Okay. Too many P names. Like, I can't take it. Uh, <laughs> you were, I'm sorry, Phil, the Phil character. Like, I'm not saying that that aspect of it doesn't make sense in this movie. Him being repressed and a homosexual in this movie does make sense to why he is as toxic as he is. I'm not saying that that part doesn't correlate because it does. I'm just tired of that being the reason for toxicity in men in movies. Because I've just seen it too many times. So. Okay. Well, I think a better way to say it is just that maybe those connective tissues weren't enough for you. Maybe the implications, maybe you needed more. But 
I don't know, man. I'm just on the other side of that. I feel like all of it was there. I mean, any time. And like I said, sometimes a lot of it was just in the acting that the that it, that they were doing. I mean, any time Phil came around Rose, you could see the way that Kirsten Dunst was great with her acting. You could tell that she was uncomfortable. You could tell that she was intimidated by him. You could tell that anytime he came around, there was just this, there was even that moment when uh, she was headed towards the house and she saw him head in there. And then she was like, oh, I feel sick or whatever. And then, you know, uh, Peter is like, it's because of him, isn't it? And then she was like, no, um, th- th- that's just a man. You know, that's just a man, Peter. He's, Phil is just a man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. It's not because of him, but it was, I mean, I think that they did enough and, and, you know, that's kind of, you know, that, that's what a toxic person can do. You know, you, you, you can feel like you don't want to be around this person. You can get that, that sick feeling when you're around that person, that person can make a person feel like that just with all, just with, even if it's not physical abuse, that constant verbal abuse, that constant presence of, I don't want you to be here. I don't want you here. You're, you're taking my brother away from me. I mean, just imagine going through that day in and day out. You know what I mean? And then oh, you kind of feel trapped because because she gave away her property like there was nowhere else to go. She had her property was sold so that she could come with George and live with him and everything like that. So you're trapped. And every day you got to deal with this person thinking these things, saying these things coming around. And I think all of that was present in the movie. I just don't know what more you needed. I felt like I got what I needed to get to understand what she was going through, you know, but we'll see. To uh, me, but, 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 you know, Oh, go ahead. Well, just to me, the movie played it. I think a little too fast and loose with that aspect of it, because I get what you're saying that like her actions, like she would avoid him constantly. I get that. Even down to the scene whenever he's fucking essentially walking to his death at the end of the movie. She will only look at him from around a corner. You know, he's weak and dying. And she'd still only look at him while he's walking from around the corner. So I get those aspects of it. But to me, too much of the movie ended up playing like she just avoided him. And so I just didn't understand like where the alcoholism aspect of it came to, because if you're avoiding him, you're kind of avoiding the problem. So then alcohol wouldn't make sense in that situation because that would be more or less a numbing agent to get you past dealing with it. I mean, I, like I get what you're saying. It was, but I, like I said, you don't see enough of the interactions to to show that you need numbing as much as, like I said, they showed that she was just avoiding it in general. You know, 
like honestly, the way the me the the movie played out to me, it's like they interact three times in the entire movie. Like, and I get what you're saying that you like you. I'm not saying that you need to be around somebody more than three times or have a conversation with somebody more than three times to understand they're toxic or anything. It's just like. I just don't see that correlation to it going that far with just implications. And like, I do think it's funny though, that you were saying that that's, you know, in this movie I needed more and something like that. And you didn't, I do think it's kind of funny because weirdly enough, a lot of times in movies or with some of the movies we watch, I guess the type of movie it is or whatever when you sometimes need more is when I don't and then vice versa in this situation. I I just think that that's kind of a funny correlation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that is a fair, that is a fair assessment of it, Justin, though, that, that, you know, for me, I needed more, but like you didn't and other people might. And that's why I do understand why people do like this movie. You know, I do understand, you know, like, and that's why I said it's, it's a movie you probably should see for 21. To me, it's not a must see, but you probably should see. Like, I get that because some people don't have problems with implications. It's just to me, I guess the more serious a movie is, the more need for not implications that I need. If that makes sense. That's probably probably the more accurate correlation with it. The more serious it is, the more not implications. I need. I need more actual story then. Okay, I, I think I see some of that, but I don't know. I just think that the, the the hallmark of most good movies are movies where not everything has to be spelled out for you. I mean, I think, and I'm not saying that that's what you're saying, but, you know, that's a, a common hallmark of good movies are the movies where they it's it's not where it's not where your hand isn't held you know you can understand from these things happening or this event happening or a character looks at a character another way and you know because of the acting what that meant or you know not always giving you all the answers just on the nose but because of the story you can still tell what happened you know, and, and I mean, that varies for different movies and different people. I mean, I think that sometimes movies do it and, you know, everybody understands it and it's and it's great. And then sometimes movies, you know, they they do more handholding and stuff like that. And I'm sometimes I don't like so much handholding. You know, I, I like having to pick it apart for myself, you know, he didn't have to, or, or, or even just like, like looking at the field character and all this stuff and what he was doing and everything like that. You didn't have to see a bunch of scenes of him talking about 
Bronco Henry or going, oh, Henry, or, you know, at night in the bed going, oh, Henry, or all of this kind of stuff. You know, I, I thought that it was, you know, the, they didn't. It wasn't so outlandish that it felt like just such a a a, a gay trope or anything like that. I thought that the way that it was done in here, it was subtle enough to where you could tell this was something that they, that, that he was hiding. But when you put together all of his actions, then you realize, oh, that's why, you know, he's like this. But, and I think that it could have been worse. You know, they could have done all of these other stereotypical things and stuff like that. But I don't know. I felt like it was good the way that they did it. And I mean, some movies, uh, you know, to me, that's also a common thing with film writing, too, is you just don't want to have to spell everything on the nose. And sometimes it's really annoying when you see that all the time, like, hey, Jan, my sister, who I have known for 12 years, how are you doing today? You know, uh, so sometimes when you're talking about movie tropes, a lot of the times you're talking about things that are so on the nose, it's annoying. It feels like handholding and stuff like that. Sometimes I like a movie like this, though, and sometimes that's OK. I'm not saying that all movies that are like that are bad. Sometimes that's OK. You know, sometimes the simple shit is OK, you know, um, but something like this, I just feel like I like movies like this, too, though. Like, I don't I don't want my movie to be just one kind of way. I like movies like this, too, though, where sometimes you just got to dig a little deeper. You got to you know, sometimes it's okay to have a movie where you got to watch it a couple of times so you can catch all the little subtle things that it does. Or, um, you know, sometimes a movie like this is better on a second viewing, because then when you fully understand it, you can go back and recount all of Phil's actions and then feet and see how it all connects with what he was going through. You know, so sometimes a movie like this is even better on a second watch. I mean, there was even a person that commented and said, well, I didn't quite, I don't think I quite got it at the end. So to your point, he might've missed that, um, that, um, that Peter had, had killed Phil or at least at the very, at, at the very most manipulated sort of the situations and killed him and everything. Um, but like, I think a movie like this is, is better on a second watch. Even, even if somebody had to give you that answer and you go back and watch and you realize, oh man, you know, that's what, that's what was happening here when Phil did this. That's what was happening here. Oh, that's what the opening monologue meant whenever Peter was like, I gotta, I gotta save my mom. Like, that's what it was about. She was drowning. I mean, she was <laughs> succumbing to alcoholism. She was like losing herself. So, I mean, would a kid try to remove the problem? I mean, I I think maybe he would, you know? So I, I don't know. I, I just didn't see it the way that you did. But I don't always need everything to be. I don't always need all these scenes in order to, I, I just thought that they gave me enough, man. And I like sometimes being able to connect those dots for myself, you know?
without all the help from the, now some movies where the plot is more complex and there's all these interweaving storylines and you're it's a murder mystery and you're trying to figure it out and stuff like that well then yeah sometimes a movie like that you're gonna want more details you're gonna wish they had explained something because then it would have helped me figure it out but i don't know man a lot of this is really character shit man where you're gonna have to pay attention to acting and reactions and how people are um interacting with other people and i feel like if you a full understanding of that well you will understand what these characters are doing in this i don't think it needed events to tell you i think the acting tells you what these characters were doing so it's kind of a different beast you know what i mean yeah but i'm also kind of i don't like the idea of sometimes having to watch a movie a second time to understand it. And I'm like, well, just do a better telling, do a better job of telling a movie the first time, especially a movie like this. Cause to me, there's nothing about this movie that warrants me ever watching it again. I will never watch this movie again. Cause I just, well, that's up to the viewer. No, no, I, I get, get you. I get that. Like, but I'm just saying, up to, sometimes a viewer can get a better experience watching it a second time. I'm talking about all viewers, not just you. No, I know, you know, you are you, but there are uh, many people that say, oh, I watched this a second time and I got more out of it. Or I watched, you know, Ghostbusters the 80th time and I found out something that I didn't know the other time. Uh, you know, you are you, but I'm just saying in general, sometimes you can um, watch something a second time or multiple times and, and get more out of it. You know, no, I get that. I know I, know I said like that I would never watch this movie again, but I'm just saying with that. This isn't the type of film that your average Joe moviegoer is going to watch a second time. This isn't Spider-Man No Way from No Way Home. This isn't a movie that is just rewatchable by your in general public or just an in general movie going audience. This isn't the type of movie that most movie watchers rewatch. So I don't understand the point in making a movie that needs multiple rewatches to do that. Like, I don't think you can speak for all movie watchers though. I'm not, I mean, how could you possibly know that? Because you look that, at that box it's not office something trends, that's rewatchable. Movies like this aren't watched by most people. That's an easy deduction. Even if this movie is on, even if it wasn't on Netflix, a majority of your movie going audience doesn't watch movies like this. Box office trends say that. That's a very easy deduction. You know, the fact that this but movie I don't know. isn't I think even trending on Netflix shows that most movie people, like people are watching it or aren't watching it multiple times. Like that's a very easy correlation to, to, to find. Well, I think those are some clues, but other clues I could say, well, it's got what? 95 on Rotten Tomatoes out of the critics, it's got what, 86, 87 out of the people who have watched it, which is a very high score. So, I mean, it's hard to say, like well, it, it may not. And then, you know, who knows what kind of reception it'll have once people are more aware that it's out, you know? No, and I get that. And I think it will have the, it will have more viewing trends. Like once Academy Award nominations come out, yes, Viewing trends will skew upward, but it won't sustain. 
or anything like that. Like, like I said, box office trends for any movie like this shows they aren't highly watched in movie theaters. They're not highly rewatched in movie theaters. And then on top of that, like I get what you're saying with the audience score, but that could mean that a hundred people watched it and 86 of them said it like they liked it. That doesn't necessarily mean a lot of people watched it. That just means a high percentage of people too, did you said something. It, I just think it's too early to make such a broad generalization. I mean, movies are can sometimes be cyclical like that too, where you know, how many movies have we seen over the years where it was panned originally by critics or it didn't quite have an audience initially? And then it winds up being a classic or it winds up being a, I just think it's way too early to make such a generalization. I mean, maybe you could make that generalization just based on trends that you're seeing now. Like you could say, well, based on just what I'm seeing now, like you said, it's not trending on Netflix right now, but to, to, but I don't know. I just don't like coining a movie as, oh, it's not, this is not a movie that anybody or most of the audience is going to be watching or rewatching. I think it's just way too early to tell. Movies can have different lives, you know, depending on the era, depending on how, how audiences change, different things like that. I think it's too early to say something like that, but I get what you're saying. Well, just with one point with something you just said. With, when it comes to cult classics or movies that are revived by like home viewing and stuff like that, you do have to look at genres with stuff like that. And dramas don't typically have that. Dramas rarely ever then achieve cult status or like a cult classic status or anything like that with later viewing. I mean, with movies like this, if you look at trends with box offices and stuff like that, these movies come out typically have very little fanfare when they first come out. Now, some of them do because it's very limited releases and, you know, but that also speaks to the studio not thinking it can succeed successfully on a wide scale at the moment. Then once it gets award recognition, like from prominent things, like this one is also the most award-winning movie, I think, of 2021. Um, Based on like, all the small award things that they do all over the place. But when you start getting into your major award ceremonies, like your people's uh, choice, your, your uh, golden globes, your Academy awards, those uh, types of award ceremonies, then they do have an uptick. You are right on that. Justin, those movies typically with the, the high amount of award nominations and stuff like that do get an uptick again in that during that, uh, time frame of all that but then typically the, it dies down again right after like I, I it's just and honestly it's 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 a lot of it has to do with the genre of it being a drama a lot of dramas don't really get that type of fanfare that you're kind of alluding to that other movies get and a lot of it has to do with the fact that dramas deal with serious emotions or they deal with serious topics. I mean, it's the nature of what a drama is. 
they don't typically have that rewatchability that other movies have based on on what people frackably watch. You know? It's, it just never tracks that way. Because, I mean, even Parasite, it had, you know, just a reasonable box office when it first came out. It did trend up again around the Academy Awards and it winning and stuff like that. But then it drops off again about a month after that. And then doesn't show many things of viewing trends or anything like that on streaming or anything like that, dictating the long last ability or a long viability of watchability with stuff like that. It shows that there are dedicated people or maybe a few new people here and there watching it, but not lasting watchability that's in a, like a long-term like scenario. But still, there are dramas that have that 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 can't. And like I said, it's cyclical. It's like up and down. Like, I don't know if there's any movie that's just like constantly trending, being watched like all year long or all for two or three or four years or whatever like that. I mean, unless you're talking about the MCU or something, but I mean, like. I I just don't know of any other movies. I mean, I think that that's just what movies do. They, they trend up, they trend down, they go up and down. It's like just the, the cyclical nature of movies, but I would just hate to coin a movie as this one thing when, you know, you got to see where, what history does to it, you know, uh, you know, you just don't know what could happen. Sometimes movies come back because they're topical, you know, sometimes, you know, depending on what the, the what the class is or something like that. You know, I know movies that are watched because they in in classrooms, because they reflect some things that are pivotal for this for these students learning about government or learning about this or learning about societal norms, et cetera, et cetera. You know, sometimes it just things, it's just so hard to predict what a movie's legacy will be. So I hate to just put a label on it and say, this is it. This is what it is. This is all it'll ever be. Because we have just seen far too many times in history that go that not happen. So I just... I just hate to say, yes, this is what it is when history has done nothing but show me otherwise. There have even been movies that were seen as classics, but not so much today, given the way our society has changed and everything like that. Now people are looking back and, you know, people are looking at Gone with the Wind and Casablanca a little differently than maybe they were back then. Like, Things change, man. People change. Society changes. So I just don't want to put that. I just don't want to say this is what something is and this is what it will always be because because just history just shows people change too much. 
things change too much. You just never know what this movie could mean to a certain mindset of people, depending on where we're, what time period we're at. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. But I think a lot of it, why it's, I don't want to say not as cyclical anymore, but it's a lot harder to become cyclical for newer released movies is because of the amount of content we have now. There are more movies being made today than ever before. And it's a lot easier to drown things out. And it's because it's, it's not slowing down. Really? We're not getting any less movies. I mean, I think just in the amount of time we've been recording this podcast, Netflix has probably released 17 original Netflix movies in that amount of time. Like everything is, there's so much more stuff coming out. The likelihood of anything becoming cyclical goes down because of that. And why a lot of movies ended up being considered classics back in the day was because there was just less. So when you go and like look and you want a shining example of 1930s film, you only had like five or six choices, you know? And so I just don't see things being as cyclical anymore. I just, and I get what you're saying. It's impossible to tell right now, but I just, based on what we've been seeing and stuff like that with everything else, things are just more or less trendy for little bits of time. And then that's about it. I mean, Fuck, Tiger King 2. Nobody even watched that. Everybody in the world watched Tiger King 1. Nobody watched Tiger King 2. Like, it wasn't even cyclical within itself within two years. And so, I mean, yeah, time will tell. It's just, I don't think in 15 or 20 years, we're going to be going back and saying, man, that power of the dog really kind of sealed the deal or was a shining example of anything. Because you're going to have another movie come out this year that people are going to say the same thing about. And it's going to be the same thing next year. It's just going to be a constant trend with that. I do agree with you, though. The only thing that seems like it has any lasting power whatsoever is the MCU. Like, that just, for whatever reason, just cannot stop. That's a fucking Miley Cyrus song. Can't stop, won't stop. Yeah, like... Everything else is kind of, it's just kind of forgettable. Like, well, not, not saying forgettable as in, I mean, obviously we remember, we have our own favorite movies and stuff like that. But like, that's the only modern thing I can think of right now where I could say it is always trending. Well, you look, and even they are always producing new movies and series and this, that, and the other. And it's this big, interconnected story and that's the thing it's almost cheating because everything is one just big giant story well, they're making <laughs> so, they're making they're making essentially a season of tv with movies as their episodes yeah and like yeah if you really look at movies nowadays it really has become a weird thing of whatever marvel release and then it's just marvel release movies between marvel releases next marvel release that's just kind of yep. everything right now with all that. Um, I feel really bad for Heather because I remember distinctly she was about to say something and you and me just kept going. Heather, what were you going to say? I'm sorry, Heather. 
Well, I have a couple of thoughts I wanted to share. Um, so, I mean, and Justin, I do appreciate like your perspective because you, you have a connection to this movie that I don't, cause I do lean more towards how Sterling feels about this movie. So I do appreciate hearing that perspective and it does help me like even more so understand what it is about this movie that people are really enjoying. And I do appreciate that people are making movies like this and that, you know, you are getting these elements of a movie that you want. So I do appreciate hearing your perspective and it, you know, hearing your take on it was really informative for me. Um, One of the things that I do feel like really for me, what it does come down to ultimately is the execution of this movie, not the, the things that they talk about in this movie, the themes of this movie, the performance of this movie, they're all great, but I do agree about the missing link situation. Like I do feel like it's just, there are some things about this that I do wish were just executed a bit differently. Um, For example, um, part of one of my hangups I have with it is there was um, like the, the part when there's just a sudden turn in Phil and how he wants to treat Peter. It's basically right after Peter sees him, you know, in the lake or the river. And he had just found these magazines like of, of men and things like that. Like basically he's so angry at him. And because he sees him there in like this secret spot that he's tried to keep away from everybody else, he sees him there and, you know, chases him off and all this stuff. And then it's almost like immediately after that is when he turns and says, you know what, I want to take this guy under my wing and all this stuff. But in in that moment, how they kind of portray that in the movie feels a little bit disingenuine because it almost feels like, oh, I want to be nice to this kid because he caught me and I don't want him to tell my secret. But then it turns into this relationship that actually is more meaningful. So and I don't think that it was supposed to be this superficial thing, but I just feel like it was a little bit of a jarring turn for me because I didn't understand what was that sudden turning point for him to be like, I'm going to make your life a living hell to, you know what, I'm going to be nice to you and I want to mentor you and I'm going to make sure everybody here also kind of goes along with that. That was one issue I had because, you know, I like I like that there was that turn. I just kind of wish that I would have had a little bit more of like, so so what was it that made that turn happen? Was it initially a not genuine thing? And he was just like, I want to be nice to this kid because I don't want him to tell people. And then it became more. Or was there actually something where he was like, you know what? There's something about this kid that makes me see myself in him or, you know, whatever that I want to take him under my wing. I feel like they didn't really clarify that part. And I wish they would have because that's a very pivotal moment in the story, if that makes sense. Um, And then another thing for me also, as far as the execution is. They do build this relationship, which seems like they're they're learning to trust each other, Peter and Phil. They're sharing all these things with each other, um, getting to know each other on a, a deeper level. And. And it's almost like that sort of, in a sense, felt like it amounted to nothing because we're seeing these layers being peeled back of who Phil is. And and I do agree that, like, he is the more that we are talking about Phil's character in this, like, 
the Benedict Cumberbatch just really did kill it with his performance here because I mean, he is the epitome of like, I am projecting all of my anger and disgust about myself onto everybody else. That is the epitome of what he's doing. And um, so I just feel like he built this relationship and he like allowed somebody in to see the real him after all these years. Um, but then it amounted to nothing because you feel like what was the lesson learned here? It was like, okay, cool. So I can share this and I can be comfortable in who I am just in the end for who I was before I felt this comfortable opening up to be the reason that I'm dead. (laughs) So I feel like it was, I, I don't know. I just feel like if they had maybe done a little bit differently with the execution of that, it would have resonated a little bit more with me, but that, that was sort of the the points in the story where I had a problem because I'm just like, Oh, okay. He's, he's building trust. You know, he's opening up and whatever he has somebody that he cares about that he wants to share his wisdom with and all these things. And then it didn't, it felt like that building that relationship and then building back the or peeling back these layers really kind of amounted to nothing because his end game stayed the same it wasn't even like peter's character was like you know what he's he's different and yes he's making my my mom's life terrible and my life terrible or was but i'm gonna you know i i'm glad that i got to know him because i know why he's this way and there wasn't any it wasn't even that it was still like it didn't matter he was still gonna do what he was gonna do um So I guess I just feel like the execution was just slightly missing for me resonating with the story more because of those things where I'm just like, oh, there, there was chances to learn these morals and these lessons about, you know, being who you are and being okay with that. And like a redemption story that Phil could have had as far as how he treated Peter's mom. And there wasn't the chance for that because by the time that all of these sort of things play out, it's the end of the movie. So I just, I feel like that's why for me, it was the execution that was slightly off. Again, the story they're trying to tell is a great story to tell and the performances are great. It's just, I don't think that they executed it in a way that it didn't utilize what it could have done to the best of its ability, if that makes sense. So I just wanted to kind of point that out as far as maybe why I didn't have quite the connection to this movie that I would have liked or that maybe other people did because those were just some hangups personally for me that I had as to why it's only, it's only okay for me. It didn't hit the mark of this is greatness. This movie is greatness. Um, It had the potential for it, but they just should have executed it a little bit differently. Okay. And I'm just going to kind of back up just so I can clarify kind of something that you said about the, uh, the, the end of the film. Um, now that part that you're talking about where you were describing, why did he suddenly want to take, uh, Peter under his ring? Well, under his wing, well, you were absolutely right. Peter stumbled upon his secret. You know what I mean? He stumbled upon the secret place where all of this happens and everything like that. So that was a manipulation by Phil. He was trying to get close to Peter because Peter had figured out his secret. At first, 
you know, it was clear at first he didn't care anything about Peter, was calling him Nancy and this, that, and the other, and was kind of angered by Peter, uh, Peter's comfort in who he was. And Peter was manipulating him as well, trying to put him in a false sense of security so that he could kill him. So both characters at that point that you're talking about were manipulating each other. And again, there are some inferences to that as well. Like when they're having the conversation and he's like, well, Bronco Henry used to tell me he, and he, and he was like, he used to tell me something about like, you know, you got to overcome the, the, the valleys in your life or something like that. That was what um, Phil had said. And then remember when Peter was like, well, my father always told me that you've got to remove obstacles. <laughs> and he's looking at uh, Phil as he says it. Like, I mean, so that's what Phil was trying to do, was remove the obstacle that he felt was in his mother's life. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. what uh, all that was. The, the, that conversation was almost like him in a way revealing what his it was. He was revealing what his motive was like. I'm trying to remove an obstacle. And this was an opportunity for him to get close to him, you know, give him that false sense of security like that bunny rabbit and snap the neck, so to speak. So, so yeah, Mm -hmm. even so all that stuff you were seeing was kind of a ruse. It was him like all that. Oh, I want to be like you Phil, and all of that kind of stuff. That was all a ruse so that he could get him to, you know, when he saw that hand cut, he saw an opportunity and he sort of took it and he knew Mm -hmm. that he could manipulate Phil because of Phil's insecurities and his, you know, masculinity issues. So Phil is a very tragic figure. You know what I mean? That's why I said Phil is tragic because on one end he can't be himself. So he's projecting all of these, all of this negativity, this toxic masculinity is coming out in all of these kinds of ways because he can't be himself here. It's a closet homosexual, but sometimes it's, uh, what a man it's it's what a man feels he needs to own sometimes it's material things sometimes it's loneliness you know men have all these things that they hide and bottle up and stuff like that i don't think the point is the homosexuality the point is is that there was something he was withholding and he could not express himself truly And he's projecting all this negativity out on everybody around him. His brother, Rose, Peter, everybody. And unfortunately, he did that and he ran into somebody, Peter, who was hell-bent on getting rid of him because of the love he had for his mother. And he fell victim to that. But... It was, but more, but even though he was a victim of Peter's manipulations, that only happened because he was a victim of his own insecurities. Hence the tragedy that is Phil. Yeah, no, and the, and you know what? It does make sense. Like, it totally makes sense. And your explanation of it, I fully accept. 
I guess for me, it just went over my head or for me, I feel like it was too subtle for me to really completely pick up on that's what they were doing. Um, which is unfortunate because kind of like what Sterling said earlier, like your take on this movie and your explanation is like, I want to see that movie, (laughs) but I just feel like you, like the fact that you have to explain this to me for me to quite understand more of these themes better. Like, I just, I feel like it's something that I had hoped to get from the movie instead of having to discuss it to really quite fully figure out all those things. Um, I fully accept it. I just, it's unfortunate because I really wish that it's something I would have gotten and seen out of the movie itself, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I I get that. And that's Um, why I am glad to get your perspective because it's definitely like your take on this and your, you know, your view of everything that happens is it's excellent. It's really great to see this perspective of it because again, I feel like there's this connection that you have with it that I definitely don't. And it appears Sterling also doesn't really have that same connection. So I do want to understand what it is that people are like seeing in this movie as to why they're saying it's so great because I'm sad that I missed out on that. You know, it it is almost like I wish that I did feel that way about this movie, but for whatever reason, it just missed the mark a little bit for me. Um, Just as far as the execution of the story, not as much as like what they were trying to say. It was just the execution of it. I wish I would have just kind of resonated with it more than I did. And, and with that too, I mean, I do agree with you, Heather, though, that I do think, the whole the the transition from oh no he found my my porn stash to hey buddy watch me make some rope <laughs> is very quick and it i i get what you're saying about it being jarring because it goes from that to that real quick and on top of that he doesn't even know if he saw the porn stash all that Benedict Cumberbatch's character sees is that he's just in the woods near where he was. Creeping on him or something. Yeah. yeah. Like just sees him there. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't show him like seeing him coming out of that weird cubby hole under the tree. So I get what you're saying with that though. It does go very quickly. The very next scene is, Hey buddy, you ever made rope? Right. Mm-hmm. real fast yeah and that's and that's why like with Jason, what you're saying it that totally makes sense about like you know especially like they were kind of manipulating each other without the other knowing it or assuming the other didn't know it that makes total sense as to what was going on there it i just it, it just sucks because i feel like i you know i i i missed that being what they did and I feel like I, I do catch on to things with movies, but for whatever reason, some of the things they did here were so subtle that it's so easy to miss it. And it, and that makes it easy to miss really pivotal moments in the movie. I see. I see. And I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, whether it that's the error of the movie or human error, sometimes we just miss things, you know? Where when you saw the scene, you thought it was jarred and went, well, why would he so quickly want to befriend him? 
when I saw the scene, I was like, oh, he's trying to befriend him because he saw him. You know, it's just, you know, and that one thing, that one interpretation led to how you saw the rest of those scenes. And that one interpretation for me led to me kind of understanding it the way that I did. So it's just one of those things. And that can happen with any movie, you know, that that can happen with any movie. You know what I mean? Right. And I've done that before. I feel like I like it it made sense that that's what it was where he was just like, oh, he caught me. So I want to be nice about it. But then I think just because there it it went from that, just like I'm going to befriend him to just not get caught into, oh, this is actually like a real relationship where he's comfortable enough to share with him things. You know, like I just I, I the turn was just so so jarring that it's just so easy to miss it. But I mean, again, like, yeah, the way I was interpreting it and like, I guess maybe the way that I was thinking about the scene was different and that's probably why, but you know, it just was, it it was one of those that, like you said, you know, watching it through again and kind of picking up on these things, I probably would have, it would have solidified that that's what they were doing. But it's just like, well, it's a bummer. I just wish that on the first run through, it was something that would have been more clear to me, you know. Hold on one second, guys. I have a question. It's very much about what we're talking about right now. Yeah. We keep saying that he got caught or that he thought he got caught. I don't understand that, though. He wasn't doing anything and he does not know that the kid found his little stash. So what was, what are we supposed to think he got caught doing? I don't understand why the word caught keeps getting used. Because he crawled through. We saw him crawl through that same place that, that same tree and everything like that. And he found all of that there. So I mean, so I think, but Benedict didn't see it. I mean, yeah. but 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 he had to have crawled through that same place because that's how he got to that place, right? That's how he got there. That's where his horse was, everything like that. So, I mean, it, so it was clear to me he could have, he would have went back to that spot and saw where, you know, Peter crawled through it. Yeah, you know, he would have saw that that's where he came from. But in general, though, it's a forest. He could have come from anywhere. By the time that Phil sees him, he's just standing in the trees. You know, he's not crawling out it of is, anything. It is. Yeah, it's one of those very heavily implied things. And that I guess that is also why I'm saying he got caught because like it's it's heavily implied that he got caught. But you are right. Like it's like he what did he actually say? that the kids saw like or what does he think that the kids saw you know what I'm saying and and maybe it was like one of those like I don't know he he wanted to keep a close eye on him to see if maybe he knew something maybe that's what it was too it was like I don't know if he saw it but I feel like he did let me vet it out and see you know it, it's it is a very heavily implied thing but you're right like they don't specifically clarify it so it is one of those I feel like some of it, some of what happens is a little bit up to interpretation, which maybe is why 
you know, like on my end, I, it didn't resonate because I, maybe I was seeing it differently than what they were meaning, but I do feel like a lot of it is so, um, it feels like it's up to interpretation, even if it might not be, I think the execution of it makes it feel like some of it is up for interpretation. And so some of those things aren't as clear as I guess they could be. See, I didn't see it that way at all, because, I mean, if he crawled through there, messed with the magazines and stuff like that, I mean, wouldn't Phil be able to tell that he was there? Like. I mean, but he could have put it back where it was, you know, like it's not like that little tunnel thing was the only way to get to where Phil was because Phil rode a horse into it, you know. So he could have come from any direction in the forest. It doesn't have to be through that little thing. And, you know, most kids, if you find something like that, especially with as old as that kid was, you would just put it back how you found it. You know, like you wouldn't draw attention. Well, I to don't, it. I don't think, I don't think he was even aware that he was in any kind of danger or what he had discovered. He crawled in there he saw those magazines and everything like that. He moved pieces of that tree over because he just sort of like saw that it looked weird and he moved it and went, oh shit, this is a little crawl space or something. Then he came, then he comes out, he's looking around, he sees the horse, you know, where um, Phil's horse is, which was ve- which was near that little crawl space under that tree and everything. And then when Phil starts yelling at him or whatever, he runs off. So what time was there to put everything back? I don't I don't know if I didn't interpret that as him feeling like he was in any kind of danger. You know, he's just yeah finding stuff and then ran into Phil. And I think even more so, like whenever it comes to Phil sort of trying to manipulate him and everything like that. You also got to think about the history of this character. Like he he talked about Bronco Henry and Bronco sort of taking him under his wing at a young age and everything like that and everything that they were doing. So I think a part of this, too, is he was trying to do the same thing with Peter. You know, he saw that Peter had gotten in there and, you know, he saw that Peter had kind of saw him and everything like that. And his reaction was to try to get close to him. And maybe, and maybe, oh, by the way, I can try to do this thing that was, you know, I can try, maybe I can have something that me and Bronco had, you know? I think all of that kind of comes into play with what uh, Phil was trying to do, you know? I mean, just given his history and given what happened. I, I, I get that, but I'm saying like, You find something like that, typically you put it back where you found it. Even if you're not in quote unquote danger, you know, I don't, you you know, you're not going to go in there, find like this, you know, magazine stash and go, man, and then just toss them on the ground willy nilly. You'd put them back where you found it. Even if you don't think that somebody's right outside at the time. I think it's just the way the scenes play out where it goes. He finds the stuff and then he leaves the little crawl space area and then goes and sees him and then gets chased away. And then the next scene's like, hey, buddy, I'm making rope. 
like I get what you're saying, Justin, that they might be implying that in turn, whilst Phil was groomed, that maybe Phil's trying to groom that kid. I get that aspect of it. But then in turn, to me, that takes away from what you were talking about earlier, Justin, with him being a tragic character. It no longer makes him tragic if he's also becoming, if he's trying to groom somebody else. So I don't think that that would make sense for them to want to imply that in this movie. But it's just the way the scenes play out. It's like Phil caught him finding his stuff or caught him doing something wrong at that exact moment. Instead of being where Phil realized he was caught doing something and then, you know, wanting to suss it out. It does not play out like that from scene to scene. It plays out like I got caught. Therefore, but visually, I just got caught doing something I don't want anybody else to know when that's not what the scenes were. And to me, I guess it goes back to they imply too much and don't really say what they're doing. Well, they show you, I mean, clearly they show you that he found his stash and everything like that. So whether the character knew or not, he did get caught. You know what I mean? The fact of the matter is, whether the character knew or not, he did get caught. Now, to address the character, even if the character, even if, let's just say he did he did a you and he put every all the magazines back and put everything back because he suspected he was in danger when he suddenly found this hole under a tree um even if that were the case phil doesn't know how long he was looking at him he doesn't know how long he was there he doesn't know what he saw him do he looked around and saw that peter was there you got to think about what this character is hiding. See, like to me, it's just not rocket science. When you put all this together, it makes sense to me. You got to think about what this character was hiding. You know, you got to think about this is something that if people find this out, it could ruin him. It could ruin this entire facade. If, if somebody had leverage on him, it could be the end of him. It could be something, you know, this could be so... I think it makes a lot of sense for this character, whether he knew or not, to try and get this, try and get Peter closer to him because he had this damaging secret, you know? So you're going to try to get closer to somebody or to, even if it was just to figure out if he knew or not, or to maybe see if, you know, and I've, and I figured also he probably saw the way Peter was acting you know, the, the effeminate qualities and all of that kind of stuff. And maybe even assume that maybe I can get close to him this way because of the way he is. You know what I mean? But either way, you got to think about this is a character with this damning secret. Like, it, it, I mean, it, just a mere thought that maybe Phil saw something that, that, that Peter saw something that he shouldn't have. I could definitely see Phil taking those actions, you know? Yeah, but Phil wasn't doing anything. He was just in the river or what, you know what I mean? Like, so even if 
Peter was standing there for 30 minutes. As far as what the movie shows you, for 30 minutes, he was just either lying on the ground or lying in the river. Those aren't things well, the movie would... showed you that there, but what did it show you earlier, Sterling? What was he doing earlier with the Bronco Henry cloth? This, you know, so he's doing all of these things over in that space where he thinks nobody can see him. You know, he's messing with the Bronco Henry Claude. Now, sometimes he's putting mud on himself. Sometimes he's there, you know, um, feeling on himself and stuff like that. So he's doing all these different activities in this secret place, which the movie did show us. Just because you didn't get that scene right there. I mean, we saw him there several times doing several different things that would suggest something about his sexuality that he was hiding, didn't want people to see. So that's why I say it was enough for me. I didn't need a scene in that moment to tell me. I mean, I, I could tell this character does not want this to get out. And he's doing all this in the secret place. And somebody discovered it. He's going to go on alert. He's not going to go up. Oh, well, all he saw me was in the river. Everything's cool. That doesn't fit the, the characterizations of this character. You Which know, is true. I mean, he he he's he was probably super paranoid and everything. But I guess for me, I feel like because he is already so scary, even if you don't know a secret about him, I would assume that his initial reaction would just be like, I don't know what you think you saw, but in either case, like you're not going to make a word of this or I will make your life even more a living hell. I feel like that to me feels like that would have been his natural response to it, which I think maybe is why it was so jarring how quickly he turned into being so nice to him. Because for me, in the way I was reading the character, I would have thought even more he would have leaned into how angry and terrible he was and how scared everybody was of him to make that how he wouldn't say anything to anybody. But I could be wrong. I guess for me, I was just like, oh, I'm just surprised that that wasn't the approach he took, you know. But again, we wouldn't have a movie if he did that. So, you know. I mean, I yeah, I get what you're saying, but I think, I think I, Heather's explanation of it makes more sense to me that that's how his character would react if he thought he might have gotten caught. Not... Let me play, you know, super spy to see what this kid knows. And like, it's just, I don't know. I've been almost caught in compromising situations and stuff like that before. My first, like, you know, if I'm not in a compromising situation when I'm found, even if it's in a situation or a place or something like that where I didn't, wasn't supposed to be or didn't want somebody to know, my first reaction isn't, oh, they saw everything. Like, I just, I find that a, a tough to accept because I don't think that that's how people react or especially somebody with a secret because if you overreact, you draw attention to a secret. So I, I just don't buy that in that situation. Like I said, it's not like Paul was like hiding. He's fucking standing out in the open. It's not like, you know, it, it, you, you don't You're get talking the, about Peter? Yes, Peter. Sorry, I... Too many P names. <laughs> Someone but, should be named Paul in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there should have been a Paul. The brother should have been Paul. Jesse Plymouth's character should have been named Paul. Um, right. No, the, the, Peter was just standing there. Like, so 
it's obvious he wasn't hiding. It's obvious, like, what he, like, how long he'd been there based on you've only been in that, like, lying in the river because he wasn't even doing anything appropriate. He wasn't touching himself. Even if he was touching himself, there's no way to conclude that it was two thoughts of a man. Like, I just don't think that any of that aspect of it is reasonable to say he thought he was caught or his, to justify the reaction or how he handled the situation later. None of that makes sense to people. And it doesn't make sense to this character. I, I Heather's situation or characterization of it to me makes way more sense with this character because this character is a fucking terrorizer. He would have fucking gone and terrorized the kid. Been like, I don't know what the well, fuck you I saw, but you didn't see initially, shit. Initially that's, well, initially, that is kind of what he did, though, right? Like, he started yelling at him. He said, you little bitch, get out of here, get out of here, and was chasing him and stuff like that. But you got to understand, this is a complicated situation. His brother is married to the person, to to this, <laughs> to this person's mother. You know, you're not going to, like... W- he thought about it. I think what happened was he reacted exactly like you guys are talking about. He yelled, said, get out of here, you little bitch, this, that, and the other, this, that, and the other. And then I think after thinking about it, he then tried to attack it this way. You know, let, let me get closer to this person. Let, let me, let, let me, you know, get closer to this person because he's suspected. I just think he was like, well, you know, he lashed out and did that exactly what you guys are talking about. But then I think he got to thinking about it, lulling over it and was like, I need to try to get closer to this person. And this is a complicated situation, you know? So the lashing out may have worked first and foremost right there but then I think him thinking about it like this is family now, you know, <laughs> he's not a stranger on the street. This is somebody you got to see a lot every day. What if you told the mom? What if, you know, what, what if he's already, you know, so let me start to befriend him and everything like that, because I'm not sure what he saw or I'm pretty sure he saw something I didn't want him to see. Either way, I could see the character doing it. The character did what you said. He yelled and lashed out, said, get out of here, you little bitch, that this, that, and the other. And then he attacked it a different way the following day, trying to like renege and, you know, recant on what he was doing. I I just think, and people do that. Yeah, people do that. He... He terrorized the mom. He doesn't give a fuck that he's the stepson. If you want to go based on your logic, like the the logic of the movie, he fucking terrorized the mom the whole movie without giving a fuck that she's family now. Why would why would he give a fuck about the stepson in that scenario like that? Then, like, why would he go? Oh, well, it's the stepson. I gotta I gotta you know play this differently. The whole he fucking terrorized yeah. his brother. Like that him just yelling. I'm talking about like terrorizing the kid. Just not yelling at him. I'm talking about straight up going, I don't know what the like walking up to the kid and going, I don't know what the fuck you think you saw, but if you tell anybody anything, you're gonna be fucking dead. 
<laughs> like that's way more in line with the character than you know trying to do the catch more flies with honey. Yeah, I mean, and I do see like Jason, you have a point in the sense of when you're in that situation, like you're gonna scramble, like if you're paranoid about something. You're going to scramble and do whatever you feel like you need to do to make sure your secret stays your secret. So, you know, in those situations, maybe he did feel like him taking a different approach was going to get that secret to be still a secret. But yeah, I guess maybe my interpretation of who Phil was, I, I think I agree. Like I, I would have thought he he would be like, I don't care what you think you saw. I don't think what you like, you're wrong. Whatever it is that you thought you saw, you are completely wrong about it. And if you tell anybody something that is quote unquote, not true about me, I'm going to absolutely just murder you or something. You know what I mean? I, I feel for me, my interpretation of the character is that that's how he would have reacted initially. But I do understand what you mean about like, whatever you feel like you got to do. And if that's being a complete different person than who you normally are, do what you got to do. I just feel like because he was such an angry person and such a like, you know, cold person, I just feel like his approach would have been to embrace that even more in the situation because he knew how scared everybody was. So, but again, yeah. And I, I guess that is kind of like the, the interesting thing about this movie is like, there there because there are so many things that are a little bit open to how you're viewing the character or the situation it can be viewed in different ways which i guess is kind of the cool interesting thing about this movie but it's it's just one of those where because it wasn't clear i didn't quite understand the actions of some of the things that happened in the movie just because i i wasn't super clear on what they were trying to do in certain moments or scenes well, th- well, to be fair, there are two parts to this character, right? There's the part of him that is projecting and pretending to be this macho, mean, hateful person and everything like that, right? But then there is the side that he is hiding about with th- that happened with him and Bronco Henry and being a closet gay and everything like that. So isn't it also believable that the first thing you saw whenever he saw Peter there, he lashed out at him and was that side that he's always projecting. But I think later in the movie, what you saw is him trying to project that uh, that other part of him, that gay part of him, that part of him that ha- is trying to have this thing again with Bronco Henry then he tried to attack him with that part of him. There's two parts to this character. He wasn't just one way. There was the way he was projecting himself to be, and then there was what he was. So we have to acknowledge both parts. You know what I mean? So I think a part of this was not only protecting himself, but then maybe he also saw, uh, well, I'm pretty sure of it, he also saw in this kid something that maybe he could have with Bronco Henry. I think he first lashed out and did what Phil does. And then he thought about it and was like, well, 
but if I could, but, but maybe I can use this as a way to get closer to him. You know, there's a chance that he probably liked this. I mean, look at him. He's Nancy. He's got feminine Mm -hmm. qualities about him. There's a chance that he's this way anyway, you know, because of what he already assumed, uh, because of what he already assumed about Peter and he was wrong about Peter. Yeah. I mean, and that is fair. I guess for me, I just, I wish that there would have even just like a quick scene of like Phil just sort of in his own head, like thinking, like you don't necessarily need to know what he's thinking, but just sort of like going from angry to like, okay, let me think about this. And then, and then the next scene happens. It just was so quick for me that it just confused me, you know? No, I get that. And, you know, it's and like I said, it's a complicated situation because his brother, he obviously cares about his brother. And, yeah, he was verbally abusing Rose and all of this kind of stuff. But he's not a killer. This guy isn't a you know, he's not a murderer. He's not somebody who's going to he wasn't going to physically remove Rose or throw her out a window or anything like that. He's not that guy either. You know what I mean? A lot of that, Mm -hmm. that ultra manliness that we saw is the facade. You know, you got to come back to that. That's the facade. And then there's who he actually is, you know? So. No, I hear you. Yeah. 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 I get what you're saying, Justin, about you know, the duality of the character of Phil. But to me, you only get the duality of Phil after he changes tactics. So within the scene of the movie, I still, to me, it still just doesn't quite line up because you don't have that yet. I mean, I know you get it afterwards. You, you The whole totality of the movie adds to that, but within the scene itself, it doesn't just, it doesn't line up yet. So I don't know. Anyway. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I just think we're just going to go around. Oh, exactly. That's so. why like, after I, yeah. started, I was like, anyway, let's, <laughs> We're just going to say the same things we've both said, like for the last hour. I know. We're like, all right, yeah. another hour of the same things. Um, <laughs> you guys got any more I final see what thoughts you mean, about this? Though? But no, I'm good. <laughs> no, I'm good, man. So, on that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or Facebook, where Cinema Slayers podcast, Twitter, and Instagram, where Cinema underscore Slayers. Or TikTok, where we're Cinema Slayers Pod. A shout out to Plug Nigo and Mundo Ochoa for our theme song and logos, respectively. Uh, give us a five star rating review. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your family's friends, tell your friends' family. And most of all, tell those dear sweet mothers, because you know what mothers love? Benedict Cumberbatch. I think that's been scientifically proven that anyone that is a woman that has had a child loves Benedict Cumberbatch. I get it. It's fair. Um, so tell them that. And then most of all, as I end my TikToks and as I always end this podcast, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner.
number two. Cinema Slayer. I don't know. Be who you really are. Don't pretend to be something you're not. There. You you could have sang. Take those apples. If if he wasn't, you know, a racist thief, you could have sang Elvis ain't nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> yeah. Could have sang Bahaman, you know. Oh. You should have sang Who Let the Dogs Out, Justin. <laughs> you should have. Heather nailed it. Heather, you <laughs> get a point. Because that's yes. what Justin should have sang. Get back, Scruffy. Get back, Puffy. Get back, you flea-infested mongrel. <laughs> Is that an actual line from that song? Yeah. Really? Justin would definitely know better than I, I would about that. Because he loves all lyrics. Every word of that song was just Who Let the Dogs Out. I did not think that there was any <laughs> other lines in that song. Jason is like a a font of like lyrical knowledge. He's, it's crazy. He's, he's sound like hound. How many lyrics you know? If you yeah. like, tell him a song, sound he'll hound. tell you the lyrics. <laughs> Basically, yeah, yeah. And I didn't even mean to say sound hound as a pun to this movie either. <laughs> I could have said Shazam. Um, but yeah. sound hound is just the one I use, so. Do you remember Justin way back in the day when Sports Center had an in-studio band and it was Baja Men? Wow, man i i I think I do remember that. And I, I I don't know if they actually played any songs other than "Who Let the Dogs Out" because do they? That's the only song they have. I, I think that it, I think you're right. I, I, that's the only one that I can remember, man. That's it. That's the only one. I can't remember any other song. Or I feel like there was some kind of like party anthem song they did at one point. I yeah, don't remember at that all song how was it goes. Called, uh, Who let the dogs out? <laughs> the party it was a remix. Different one. They just put a different beat behind it. <laughs> um, Probably, actually. No, but in all seriousness. I did not know that there were any other words to that song besides who let the dogs out. Genuinely did not know that they had anything else in that song. <laughs> so whatever you said, Justin, you know what? Fuck it. I'll give you a point for that. Cause apparently there are other words to that song and I did not know that. Yeah. That's the only part I remember because of the flea infested mongrel. The way he said it was weird. Get back, you flea-infested mongrel. I'm tempted to go listen to that song again. I'm not going to. Don't worry. I'm never going to listen <laughs> to it. But I'm like, maybe I should, because I don't remember any other words. Oh, well, I guess I'll never know. For all I know, Justin, you're completely lying to me. And I'll have no way of disproving <laughs> you, ever. Because I'm not even going to look it up. I'm not even going to just look up the lyrics. I'm just going to assume that you're right. So, <laughs> eh, oh well, I'm out. 